my message to parents is this is okay. These things will work out over time. This is going to happen. This is not personal. That's not a personal attack about your cooking or anything. Mm-hmm. These are these are these are messages. These are ways in which the child perhaps needs to assert herself or communicate her initial reluctance. I mean, it, we, we have a good relationship now. She's she's a college graduate. She has a wonderful job and she's a productive member of the community. Mm-hmm. So she's loving and caring. And uh, so all of these things took time, but these were the hurdles that we were that we were seeing and not reacting very well to. Did you finally realize your dream of having a family only to have your happily ever after turn into a nightmare? Do you find yourself up late at night wondering why nothing you try as a parent is working? Are you searching for adoption resources and a support team but can't find any? Hi neighbor, welcome to Anchors of Encouragement. I'm Tim Maudlin, husband, adoptive parent, Bible class teacher, and ambassador of encouragement. I too felt the joy of having a family of my own. I wish we could be like other adoptive families. I knew we were doing our best, but nothing seemed to work. I kept asking myself, why is this happening to us? Life can be tough. Storms in life are inevitable. In Anchors of Encouragement, my mission is to throw adoptive parents a lifeline and be your anchor, to offer biblical mindset support and provide stability when life gets unstable. If you're ready for real and raw talk that leads to peace beyond comprehension so you not only survive but thrive in life's storms, this podcast is for you. Hope and healing are on the way. Hi, neighbor. I'm excited to bring to you today my neighbor from Philadelphia, Anna Maria DiDio. She is an adoptive mother and children's author whose adoption-themed books encourage open and honest conversation between parents and children. Anna Maria's Life Adventures children's book series features stories about adoption from the point of view of the child. It all started with her memoir, Love at the Border. Anna Maria holds a BA in psychology from Villanova University and an MSW in family specialization from the University of Pennsylvania. She is the mother of two young, wonderful women and is at her most creative when she is traveling and experiencing new people places and things to eat and then writing about it. As I said, she lives in Philadelphia with her husband, Richard. Anna Maria, thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited to have this conversation today with you. Thanks so much for having me. We were talking just before uh, we started the recording. We have a connection, you living in Philadelphia, and one of the the famous uh, sports figures from Philadelphia, Dr. J., and I asked you if you had seen the the statue of him outside the old Spectrum uh, arena, and you said you had. Mm-hmm. And I told you that this is something that's pretty cool for my my family. My dad was uh, able to engineer the foundation to support that statue, and so he always said he supported Doctor J. And that's wonderful. It, it's Love a cool Dr. little. J. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it was great, and that was a cool cool little uh, tidbit to to connect each of us to to one another but we're also connected by adoption and that's why you're on here today because you are an adoptive mother but you're also an author who wants to share a very important message and the message that you share with us or share with the world is 
the adoption journey. And one aspect that's not talked about as much as it should be. As we start this conversation today, I wanted to ask you why you decided to to write these books. And maybe as you're telling that, you know, tell a little bit of your backstory, however much you're comfortable sharing with us. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Yes, this conversation is so important for uh, adoptive families. And not only that, but the entire community, if you know someone who's been adopted or within your world, it's just important to be aware. And the, the, I'll call it the myth of adoption. The myth of adoption has been perpetuated for years with, you know, movies and TV. And it's a, a little bit of a love conquers all theme that that's how I refer to it. And I'm not saying that love isn't important because it is and families sacrifice, give up so much and welcome children into their home. That's just a wonderful thing. But also every adoption begins with trauma, loss and, and grief. And by that, I mean, well, first of all, the, the, the separate, the biological separation of the mother and child at, at birth, that creates a trauma known as primal wound. And even though the child is adopted as, as an infant, that trauma will manifest itself later on in life. Now, our daughter was adopted at age seven. And so she had kind of a, a double whammy, so to speak, because she it was an international adoption. That's you, you asked about why I'm so passionate about this, why I'm writing these books. And that's because, you know, it took me years to really uh, just come to grips with the fact that trauma was being exhibited in my own home. And by that, I mean, it, it took me years to appreciate all that she had lost, her, her culture, her language, her sights and smells and food, and the caregiver that was just so wonderful uh, at the orphanage. So my mission and my passion is really writing these books as a way to open that communication so that parents understand that trauma is that trauma exhibited or the behaviors exhibited by their adopted child is not something being done to them. It's something that the child has to to work out and and give them that grace and work that, through that with them. Well, as we were talking before, we both have lived this. And my oldest is, he's almost 23. We've lived the trauma. I'm not going to assume this, but when you adopted your daughter, did you feel like you were prepared for all the eventualities that were going to happen? No way. No. And, and uh -huh. we, we, because the, because the, as I mentioned, the behaviors we were seeing were so, well, okay. So let's back up a minute. So she lived seven years in Mexico mm -hmm. and we, we visited her actually at age six. So she probably wondered who, who are these strange people? We, we brought gifts. We didn't speak a word of Spanish. Then a year later, by the time all the paperwork was finished and all the everything needed to be checked, she arrives in our home. So living seven years in Mexico and then the next day waking up in suburban Philadelphia, that would be a shock for, for anyone. I was just so you know busy patting myself on the back. People were, were saying to us frequently, oh, she's so lucky. She's so lucky to be adopted by you. You're such a wonderful family. And 
I already had a bi one biological child, a girl, and they were very close in age. Oh, isn't that great? She'll have a sister. And it is wonderful. We were trying to create a family. We wanted a sibling for the, the daughter that we had, but it took so long for me to appreciate this, this, the trauma of her, of her separation. And again, all that she had lost. So no, we were not prepared and she was not prepared. They told us they had spoken to her about what would happen and she was going to be adopted, but I, she didn't really understand. And that was, it just took, it took years. How did you navigate that? Well, we had a couple strategies and this is the advice that I would, I would give to, to parents is first um, we expanded our, our network and started to reach out to other adoptive parents to see if their uh, experience was similar. And it mm -hmm. was. So we had referrals to therapists. So we began to see a therapist at a, at a at a young age. And those therapists changed as she grew because her problems changed. So I think it was we, we, we tried to stay in tune with that. In the beginning, we had a, a, a woman that was very well versed in play therapy and, and, and some of the things to just acclimate ourselves to, together as a family. And then, of course, middle school and teen years were were, were different, and we we sought support. Uh, and then doing research, it took, as I said, it took years for for me to figure it out. As and I started to read about primal wound and the behaviors listed were exactly what we were experiencing. And I thought it was like a light bulb. And I thought, well, we were so. I, I was just so anxious all the time. What am I doing wrong? What's happening? And then as I began to understand, we could we could cope a little bit better. Mm -hmm. When you started to see these negative behaviors exhibiting, did you take it personally at first? Uh, of course. Yes. Yeah. Again, what, what was I doing wrong? And, yeah. and uh, on tiptoes or didn't want to say something that would start a, uh, a, a scene or a tantrum or tears. And it was, uh, it was, that was a learning process. Mm -hmm. You mentioned this idea of primal wounds. Is there a book about that? Yes. Nancy okay. Verrier's book. Nancy is what matter of fact, um, I had some contact with the author of primal wound, Nancy Verrier, when mm -hmm. I wrote my memoir and she wrote a, a little endorsement in the, a little endorsement blurb in the front of the book. So, okay. And that really peels back the onion and lets you see what's going on in this dynamic, correct? Yes. So she is an, also an adoptive mom. Okay. And when she began to see these behaviors, she, you know, dove in as a psychologist, did research and has, um, uh, ha has a lot of facts and figures and information about the, the, uh, the trauma and the behaviors that manifest. Well, I applaud you for being able to find these resources and find therapists. That was one of the the struggles we had was finding a therapist. And I can share this about my son. He's totally fine with me sharing some of this, with my audience. He was diagnosed with ADHD. We were going down that rabbit hole to try mm -hmm. to see how to help his ADHD when it was really adoption trauma. You know, one session a week for 25 to 35 minutes just didn't cut it. It just didn't work. It wasn't until he was in residential where he was being evaluated 24-7. Then it started to to click and we started to understand things. But I'm glad you were able to, to start getting answers earlier. I wish we had been able to get answers. And that's, again, one of the reasons this podcast exists 
And one of the reasons your books exist is to help get this dialogue out there so people can say, okay, here's what's going on. So you wrote a memoir. That was, was that the first book you wrote yes, the memoir? Okay. That was my you, first book. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, when the experience, when the adoption experience was happening, I kept a journal and everything was just so fascinating to me. The, the, you know, hearing about how Mexico cares for their children. And we visited the orphanage actually three times over the course of our adoption journey and meeting the director of the orphanage, or they call it a shelter, mm-hmm. and the caregivers there. It was just such an unbelievably fascinating process. And then welcoming her, uh, our daughter, into our home and the process that it took for me to understand what trauma was all about. I, I just just kept writing. And then when I uh, left the corporate world, uh, I started to write and thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to put this together into a book as a way to communicate to, uh, you know, other parents just what that journey looks like. And um, and it wasn't all, you know, tears and tantrums. Mm-hmm. There were many. She's just an unbelievable she was just an unbelievable kid, funny, uh, outgoing, super confident, and and uh, just we had lots of fun and laughs as well. So uh, I wanted to incorporate some of those stories, but just a, the, our family journey. So that was really the first book, okay. it's called, and it's called Love at the Border: An Adoption Adventure. Perfect. Now I'm going to include links to all your books in the show notes so people can can get those. And we'll talk a little more about that at the end. I'm fascinated though, that you had the foresight to, to keep a journal. Now, were you doing that to, for lack of a better way to say it, catalog your experience or were you using that therapeutically too? Or well, both? A little bit, a little bit of both because okay. it, it, it was such an interesting experience. I love to travel and mm-hmm. I, I love to, um, well, I love to give reviews on Yelp and just, I'm always writing about, as I said, I'm, I'm I just uh, spurs on my creative juices. So there were so many new and wonderful experiences in this uh, adoption journey. It was just natural for me to, to write about it. Mm-hmm. And then, as I said, our, our, our daughter, our both daughters, and just turned out to be complete opposite personalities. And that fascinated me. Mm-hmm. And I started to take notes on funny things that they both would say and do and um, put some of that in the book as well. So then you aren't the first uh, adoptive parent that's told, actually it was an adoptee that was telling me she kept the journal and then was able to go back and fill in the blanks and write her book. So that's really a cool way to do it. And again, it was help, helping you to to process this as well. That's one of the things I talk a lot about on the podcast is journaling because my son, that's how he touched his feelings when he mm, was in treatment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's something I was up at oh dark 30 this morning journaling. I, I do it every day mm-hmm. in large part because I saw what it did for him. And it's so fascinating that you, that you mentioned it. And a new project that's come my way in Philadelphia is working with a program called Writers Matter. And it's a program within the Philadelphia School District. And I've put together a three-part course for uh, kids in in middle school, in eighth grade. I'll I'll be starting next year. How to write a children's book as a way to connect 
with themselves, build identity, build their confidence and resilience. And so we'll be using kind of my book as mm-hmm. a jumping off point that it's you're able to tell traumatic stories to children and communicate valuable lessons. So that'll be a workshop I'll, I'll be doing next year. Now that you've written the memoir, what led you to create this series? And as I read your introduction, the the biography, these are called the life adventures and it's L I F E. And people on this podcast know I, I like acronyms and I love this one. Love inspires families everywhere. So I love that acronym, but what inspired you to then go from your memoir to these, this series? Well, I think because I still had something to say and the most important message is really to adoptive families that, that are not connecting the uh, and not aware of the trauma and how to deal with it. And the fact that it's normal, this is not something that, again, children are doing to the parents or to the family. It's something that they have to experience and work out themselves as they, you know, look at their lives and see their circumstances and see the family that loves them, see the family, see their, uh, understand their, their, biology and their roots. And those are the topics. All the three, the three books that I've written so far um, originated from our own family experience. So the experiences within the books are all real and true, but they're not about specifically about my daughter because she would strangle me if I wrote any more about her. So that, that was <laughs> off limits. But these are these are actual events that and and triggers. Triggers, for instance, in one book, the the uh, main character, her name is Carla, she's asked to do a family tree. This was the first thing my daughter had to do when she was brand new in the United States and her in her first class. And I thought, oh my goodness, a family tree. So then sure enough, she, she leaves for college and the first class she's in, she said, oh, you won't believe it. I have to do a family tree. So uh, many years passed and she she did them both successfully, but these are trigger points for children that are adopted, as are possibly birthdays and other things. So mm-hmm. uh, those are were ways to communicate to parents those important facts w- without it being, you know, lecturing or a, or a textbook or intimidating. These are stories so that both parents and children understand what's happening and can talk about it. I have the the first book in this series, Many People to Love, and I guess this is when the story about how you got your daughter. Yes. I was amazed when you were making raviolis. I don't want to give the whole story away, but my wife is Italian, Di Gregoria. And so I, I love her, her Italian cooking. And, you know, you would think your daughter would love that, but that wasn't the what case. she. There was no logical reason for that. Uh-huh. The, the components of a ravioli are so similar to everything else she was eating. So it was, it's just <laughs> funny that that not funny, but at the time it's just, you know, the message was there this represents your family and I don't want to be a part of your family. So I'm not going to eat ravioli. So <laughs> that, that happened in a million different ways every single day. And so Again, my my message to parents is 
this is okay. These things will work out over time. This is going to happen. This is not personal. That's not a personal attack about your cooking or anything. Mm -hmm. These are, these are, these are messages. These are ways in which the child perhaps needs to assert herself or communicate her initial reluctance. I mean, we, we have a good relationship now. She's, she's a college graduate. She has a wonderful job and she's a productive member of this community. Mm -hmm. So she's loving and caring. And uh, so all of these things took time, but these were the hurdles that we were, that we were seeing and not reacting very well to the book kind of just opens up that, that communication. Well, and I'm not going to spoil it other than to say there is a happy ending. I'm not going to tell you how the happy ending <laughs> happened, but it's really cool. So I want to encourage you to to get this book and this series. I want to make some comments about the book, but I want to circle back to what you were talking about with the raviolis. Do you think, looking back, is that something that was a trigger for her because she was older when you adopted her? Because like my boys... They grew up with Italian cooking and love it. So there was nothing yes. that they had missed. Exactly. So. Right. So, so because her experience was so unique mm -hmm. and she, it, it didn't take her very long at all to learn English. I'll say that very, very smart little kid picked mm -hmm. it up immediately. And her, one of her first questions to us was, why did you adopt me if you didn't even speak Spanish? Because now she lost the Spanish and that was you know, devastating for her. So over the years, we tried a few things to help her get her language back. But when it's not part of your day-to-day -day experience, it just couldn't be sustained. We hired tutors. and mm -hmm. But once she began Spanish class in middle school, it was so interesting. It was like a light went off with, within her and she started to speak and her accent was, as you can imagine, just beautiful. Mm -hmm. And the words came back to her and then timing is everything. You know, she had a laptop, she had Facebook. She began to connect with the children back at the shelter. Oh, that's cool. And speak with them in Spanish and also starting to subscribe to radio stations and see movies that were in Spanish. And so she majored in Spanish in college and, and now is totally fluent and works in the Hispanic community. So it, it was really important when she became totally fluent, again, this 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 light just just emanated from her. And it was it was just so wonderful. She she reclaimed her culture. She's mm -hmm. always loved, you know, Mexican food over any other food, but now, of course, loves many different types of foods. So because of that those childhood experiences and the, and the trauma being taken away from it, the, the, the reaction was even more um, exaggerated when she had to, when she was eating other things or doing other things. As she reclaimed her culture, I liked how you put that because I was thinking she was getting back to her, her origin story or whatever. I don't know what the term is, but reclaimed culture is, I really like that phrase. Did she seem to give her more peace, peace of mind when she was able to do that? I'll, I'll say, you know, secondhand, my observation, yes, it seemed to me that okay. she had, I found herself, sounds so trite, but just really more at peace with herself because she knew in college 
she would be able to perfect that language. And Mm -hmm. also she was very anxious to do a study abroad experience. And she did one semester in Mexico and one semester in Spain. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. It's interesting how her story has come full circle, go back to her place of birth and so forth. For each one of these um, episodes, we talk about some kind of an action step that the listener can take. And we're talking to adoptive parents here. For the daily doable, what would be a good first step from your experience that they could start to implement to understand trauma in their children? Well, this sounds so simplistic, and I'm not sure if this will really count as one of your, um, it's not exactly a big pearl of wisdom, but one thing I tended to do too quickly was to take things so personally that this was just some statement about our family. And and when when I would see these behaviors, whether it was a temper tantrum or perhaps she was keeping something from me or not telling me the truth about something. And if I could offer any advice to parents who are seeing behaviors that are not consistent either with their, oh, I don't know, family values or family expectations is to just give a, a bit of grace and, and, and stand back and maybe take a breath, take a beat, and ask what's really going on. Mm-hmm. Because we, you know, when I did that and we and we calmed ourselves, took a break and calmed ourselves and let the silence speak for itself, I, I would get a little glimpse into what was happening, as opposed to me talking, thinking I had all the answers and lecturing. I remember there were quite a few times when um, maybe you can identify with this. Homework was not finished. Homework was not <laughs> homework was not was not completed. My husband and I would be, you know, why, 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 why can't you do this? Why can't you do that? And one of the therapists, and this was something I, I write about in my in my memoir. One of the therapists said, "Stop, stop asking all these questions. You you already know that the homework's not done. Don't ask a thousand questions about why. Just calmly." you know, let her speak to you about what's happening. And, and so again, not a great pearl of wisdom, but just to take a beat and, and not jump in to try and fix and and lecture every situation to death. Does that, does that make sense? Yes, it makes perfect sense because don't discount something that sounds so simple because that's what you have to do. It's easy to say it. It's more difficult to do it. I can speak from experience. You, you tend to take things personally and you can't, you've got to take a step back. And I remember one of my son's therapists saying, you know, don't keep asking them because sometimes they don't know. They don't know why they're doing things. So yeah. don't ask. And, right. And when the therapist said that, it was like a light bulb went off for me. I thought I was so intent on getting at the root of the, what, what's going on here? What's happening? Mm-hmm. What's the problem? What, why are you doing this? What? And she was, she was just, what, why, why do you keep, asking all these questions, just stop and and uh, let the situation kind of play out and see what's happening on her end, wait for her to make a statement. So it was so, again, so simple. Someone signed for me, I just shut up and <laughs> let her yeah. talk. And it really, it really did turn a, turn a few situations around. We, we had some better, better conversations. It is a perfect pearl for my audience because Again, one of my my son's therapists told me that when you don't have answers and you don't know what to do, sometimes all you need are new tools. And that's a perfect tool just to pause and just listen. And so thank you for that. 
I want to circle back now to your your series here, and I had this this one book, and it's illustrated in watercolor. Tell us more about this. This um, the artist is amazing. It just really captures the essence of your story, and you put the words to it. She put the pictures to it. Tell us more about these this, these series and how they, people can get them. The series is available through Amazon or Barnes and Noble, mm-hmm. and all the information about. Uh, our family, our story can be found on my website. And that's amdio.com. That's just my name, my first two initials, amdido.com. And there's some photos, there's some insight about our our trips to Mexico. There's um, actually a few recipes, I have to add some, that we kind of pulled together as a family and and, uh, family favorites. That's really where books, but you asked about the illustrator, which is interesting because this is my first effort with with children's books. And I put the call out there for illustrations asking for, after giving a little snippet of the story of Carla, asking for samples. This illustrator responded. Uh, she she uh, lives in the Netherlands, but born and raised in uh, in Russia. And she just captured the the face and the tone, the tone of what I was saying so perfectly. Mm-hmm. There was never really a question as to who I would choose. When you put put out these these calls on on uh, on various websites to to for contractors and whatnot, so many people respond, and there's so much talent out there. But but she was far and away just so spoke to me so well, and she I think she really captured the look and feel of this story of the of the three stories because now I have three books, uh, Carla's uh, Adventures. They're very well done. And the reason I asked is that kind of stuff catches my eye. For the better part of my professional career, I was an architectural illustrator. The illustrations caught my eye when I saw this. I said, that young lady is talented. And mm-hmm. she really captured mm-hmm. the essence of the words that you you share here. I want to encourage people to get your memoir and get these books to keep this conversation going. And thank you for being a person to to speak with authority on the importance of having this conversation because it's it's needed. And that's one of the reasons this yes. podcast exists is to have this co- conversation. It's not that we want to discourage adoption. It's just the opposite. We want to encourage adoption, but we want everyone to know mm-hmm. what's going to happen or what could happen. So again, and as thank- you said, with the right tools, with the right tools yeah. and knowledge about these b- behaviors and how trauma happens, it's it's just a wonderful way to grow a family. That's one of the phrases we we use when we we talk to people about our family. This is how God helped us build a family. There's a lot more we could talk about today. Uh, you shared some of your contact information. I will have all of that in the show notes so people can reach out to you through your website. There's links for the books. And then I'm I'm curious about your Writers Matter project. That sounds really cool too. Again, just thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed speaking with you. I appreciate Anna Maria and for her willingness to shine the light on this much-needed conversation. Here are a few of the takeaways. Number one, open communication about adoption is crucial. It's important to dispel the myth that love conquers all. Number two, to varying degrees, adopted children will struggle with trauma, loss, and grief. Number three, adoptive parents should not take certain behaviors personally and should give grace and space to understand what's really going on. And finally, number four, 
It's important to pause and listen when dealing with unknown answers or challenging behaviors rather than continually asking questions. Make sure and check out the show notes for the different ways you can connect with Anna Maria and to buy her books. That's all for this episode. I want to thank you so much for joining me. Please consider sharing this with a friend. It's sharing conversations like this that I believe will help us to raise healthy and happy adopted children. Until next time, this is Tim encouraging you to do what you can now. If this podcast has given you the courage and confidence to face storms in your life, the number one way you can thank me is to leave a written review on Apple Podcasts. Tell a friend about the show. Take a screenshot of this episode and share it in your Instagram stories and tag me at Tim Maudlin. You can also connect with me in my Facebook group, Anchors of Encouragement. So until next time, this is Tim encouraging you to do what you can now.